You're listening to The Profile. Hello and welcome to The Profile podcast. I'm Andy Peck. For the past 17 years, I've been interviewing leaders in the church and the wider culture. In the coming weeks, you'll be hearing the best of these conversations, plus some brand new ones as well. It was leadership expert John Maxwell who famously said, leadership is influence. Some have massive influence through their role as a leader of a church or business, a charity or a family. Others have influence in their neighbourhood, a network of friends or through leisure interests. It's our prayer that these conversations will help you in whatever spheres you have influence. This show is brought to you by Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. Get full online access and the print magazine every month by becoming a subscriber. See special offers available now at premierchristianity.com. You will know that there are charities in the UK that are doing very similar things to one another. Sometimes that's perfectly sensible, and other times we wonder whether they might join forces and do something better together. Well, this was the experience of my guest on the show today, Ian Soares. He was the CEO of Vegans, a children's charity, and entered discussions with Spurgeon's children's charity a few years ago. And now Ian is the CEO of Spurgeon's children's charity, having merged with Vegans. And they have developed a new tool, particularly helping children with eating disorders. So I'm looking forward to talking about leading into a merger and also about this tool, which has been such a blessing to many families today. So, Ian, it's, it's welcome back to the Leadership Show. Certainly is, Andy. Good to, good to meet with you again. And uh, you're, obviously you were uh, CEO of, of, of Fegans when we last spoke, and uh, and now things have, uh, have developed on. You, you were leading Fegans for seven years. I don't know what point you <coughs> thought uh, maybe a, a, a conversation with Spurgeons was on, who... Mm. Who made the, the the running? How how it all worked out? Um, share as much as you feel able. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure, Andy. Um, of course, I guess um, because of the way that things worked out, I, I'm in the unusual position uh, of 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 being a CEO that was acquired, and then um, a few months later becoming the acquiring CEO <laughs> yeah. in the same transaction. So I I could speak to both sides of that coin, neither of which are straightforward. Um, direct response to your question. Uh, relationally, actually, um, uh, so uh, the then CEO uh, Ross and I uh, had become friends, uh, prayed uh, a few times together, met up, coffee, and so on. And uh, what we began to see is that we had a common interest in, in galvanising the church to engage with vulnerable communities, but also seeing um, uh, the local authorities and statutory services who we bless and honour, but really run out of steam and money in terms of dealing with the rising tide of complexity. So it becomes a conversation, and there is a moment, Andy. There is a moment where, in the conversation, you're both, so, you know, you're circling, uh, you know, you know, the issue at hand. Um, essentially, you know, vegans had, uh, as CEO of vegans, we had a really clear vision about what we needed to do in the UK, uh, but really not the finances or the infrastructure strength to be able to do it. We could see that there were many matches between us and Spurgeons, but also areas of uh, complementary difference. And so that seemed to be a prudent um, thing. Um, at, at the beginning of this process, when even when it was just informal conversations and obviously it becomes more formal with boards and so on, um, I made it clear, though, that um, uh, this was not anything to do with my role. And I think this is one of the first ingredients you need to get clear in your head. Um, if you're having these conversations, you may end up without a job. And that certainly was what 
I thought was headed my way. What it does allow you to do, if you declare that clearly and frequently with your SLT and trustees, is to operate in the interests of your uh, beneficiaries and um, the organization itself. And that gives, gives you clean hands and a pure heart, as it says in Psalm 24. And I would say that's probably a, a key element to, to what happened or what transgressed after that. Well, yeah, and yes, I hadn't uh, considered the, the self uh sacrificial nature of having that kind of a conversation because yeah you really as a leader are thinking of the greater good and, know, and knowing potentially that you might be uh suffering in a small <laughs> sense i mean our oh god god looks after us but um yeah it's still a it's still a bit of a challenge thinking and i guess this is what stops many smaller charities maybe merging or doing work with others because that's the a, a natural human fear i think there is uh so I, I sit on a couple of steering groups of of charities, Christian and secular, and um, our, our experience is that a, a lot of charities wait till the last minute. Um, for Christian charities' perspective, we often think that God, you know, you know, we're waiting for God to intervene, and and it, it never kind kind of comes, and so they go to the wall as opposed to uh, integrate or merge. Um, but there are other things, um, founder syndrome, you know, if you've got a heavy investment in the organization and although I wasn't the founder, you know, Fegans was an old and veritable um, charity, uh, I, I genuinely had um, profound personal connection to Fegans. And so that that is a real struggle that, you know, just that one, try, you know, what do I feel about this um, emotionally uh, organization that I've fallen in love with? That was very difficult. Um, th there are other things, uh, capacity, timing, knowing who to go to. How do you know who could be interested? So uh, and there isn't really any, as far as we're aware, public domain where you can almost have a swap shop mm. of, oh, <laughs> we'd like to acquire or we'd like to uh, be acquired. And as I said, it really began with a friendship between two CEOs uh, praying together about the state of the nation. And, uh, you know, I hope my encouragement will be to do it. But it's, uh, you know, if that's your space, but um, mm. but it's not without uh, some some. Well, some suffering and some some pain, and I guess there's bit there's inevitable internal resistance to something like this. Did you find that uh, without a vision, the people perish? And I think if you try and sell something on a transactional basis, on the balance sheet basis, it, no one's going to follow that. There's no vision there. Um, what we endeavoured to do, both myself and the trustees, what we endeavoured to do is to say is we we have a vision for the UK that um, actually vegans cannot do by itself. Uh, and we believe that um, as far as we have uh, waited before, before God, that we have a common vision with Spirit and, and, and trying to discern that. Um, and I thought, um, actually, I just before I came on here, Andy, I just checked that scripture. Uh, it comes from Proverbs 29, because we often quote it. Mm. The, the, the very, the very, before it says that, it says this, when the wicked rule, the people mourn, the righteous must consider the cause of the poor. Fool just speaks everything that's in their mind. And where... There is no vision. The people perish. In other words, um, when you know when wickedness prevails and it is prevailing in our nation, the righteous must pause and say, "What is God doing? What is this? We have to consider the poor, and then bring well, what is the vision?" And so I think we led with vision, and it, there was internal resistance. There was internal tears. It isn't just about people being angry. It's about people being profoundly upset. Um, because something that they fought, including myself, I wept tears over this, something that you fought day and night for for uh, a long time, many years, that you've lived and breathed, that you've given um, you know, a lot of your uh, well-being over to. Uh, uh, hearing that appear to sink beneath the waves is a very, very diff difficult day indeed. Hmm. But actually, 
there was vision involved and people began to gather around the vision. Yeah. Uh, and Fegans was uh, centred particularly Kent, Sussex and, and looking to expand at that point, yes? Yeah, so, you know, we were in a few different counties, London, um, Surrey, uh, uh, Sussex and so on, but yeah, our, our, our beating heart very much um, in Kent, our, our scale, if you like, it was in Kent, yeah. And Spurgeon's would say it was a national charity, so it's it's kind of a, you know, obviously they are the senior partner in that in the sense of being yeah. larger and and broader in their scope. Yeah, so Spurgeon's really their centre of operations at the time, and to to an extent continuing now is is in the Midlands, um, going out to East Anglia and 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 also to the west. So there was actually geographically quite a, a neat fit, uh, you know, with vegans being predominantly in the southeast. As I say, given given the dwindling size of the UK church, uh, sadly, <laughs> with you know revival, um, if revival doesn't happen, um, there's a sense in which a lot of charities are going to need to consider this. And you've 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 clearly indicated that this is this is something worth pursuing under God, if if that's right. Yeah, I'd, I would go back to my earlier comments about being balance sheet led. You know, I, I'm um, my um, chief operating officer would say very much. I am I'm in my balance sheet. I know my finances really well. Uh, but actually, this kind of transaction cannot be led that way. And and she would be the first to say that. There is there is a challenge with the church. You know, coming out of lockdown and and you know other more knowledgeable people have probably spoken on your program andy about you know how we respond to that but i just i just wonder whether in terms of revival whether we're looking for a particular revival or or, or that god's going to do it for us i do believe that myself and, and and our charity and some of the other charities that are working uh in this area particularly those like us working in partnership with the church we are seeing <laughs> we are seeing things happen in church that haven't been ha you know haven't happened for 150 years and, and and often church is saying, well, who's there on a Sunday morning? And we might be saying, uh, who are you feeding? Who are you giving debt counsel to? Who are you giving hope to? Uh, the other days of the week, and what you'll often find is the reach of the church is going back to an almost Middle Ages um, uh, scale as churches are are impacting their communities, perhaps beyond where they realise. And so we might actually be in the middle of a revival. It's just it's not the one that we thought God was going to do. Sure, no, it's a, it's a fascinating way of looking at things, very much so. What would be your kind of elevator, as they say, or lift in the UK um, description of, of of what you're about as a charity? And um, and we'll we'll look on particularly at the the, the tool that you've just be recently developing. Sure. So I guess if I can give you two different elevator pitches, mm -hmm. what we do and then what we want to do. Um, sure. So if I start with where we're at, uh, at the moment, Urgent is, a, I guess, a large charity uh, operating multi-million pound contracts in partnership with local authorities, uh, the prison service, um, schools um, and uh, the NHS to deliver um, mainly high-end complex intervention to vulnerable children um, in many communities. So we see tens of thousands of children um, every year in, in, that, uh, in that context. Where we want to go, well, um, there's a scene in um, Good Morning Vietnam and a guy asks the weather forecaster, what's the weather? What's the weather like? And a guy says, open a window, can't you see? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and if you want to know what the UK is like, open a window. And there is a tremendous uh, increase in children with uh, mental health issues, identity issues, eating disorder issues. We're going to talk about that, of course. 
um, but also those suffering from trauma, from parental conflict, from uh, special educational needs. And the reality is, as that complexity level, so the company you know, is just more difficult to deal with, and the volumes increase at the same time, the capacity of local authorities to better respond and the NHS to respond is diminishing. So uh, as a result, without going into the politics of that, but over the some of the, the political um, financial decisions made over the last six months, local authorities have had cut hard, cut deep in the services that they're providing. We speak to a number of local authorities that are looking to close all of their children's centres. And in that context, where we want to go is this. And if you want an elevator pitch, I guess uh, this is it. Working in partnership with the church, we want to uh, put uh, the care of children right back in the heart of our communities uh, because we believe that the church is the only player on the pitch. We can equip them to do it. Um, however big we ever get, however many millions we ever turn over, we are never going to reach all these children. There is someone that can, and it's the bride of Christ. And so we want to partner and equip and enable that a precious church to better do that. So that's our that's where we're headed. And it's a, and a great opportunity. Sadly, as resources are limited, and and the government, any government, will be stretched. Um, the church can be wonderfully a. Uh, a, a beacon of light and a, a haven of peace and all the rest of it to um, to enable young people to connect with God and at a time, sadly, when the, the, you know, you'll know that most young people and children are not finding their way into church buildings, certainly, um, in the numbers that they're used to. One of the things I would gently say to Christians gathering on a Sunday morning to say, why, where are the children? Um I'm a trained parent support worker. I do parent support work um, as part of the job I do as well. And the one thing that we talk to parents about is uh, commitment, demonstration, love, get on the carpet with your toddlers, you know, go out for walks with your teenagers and so on. And we kind of want somehow children to magically roll up, roll up in our church and essentially um, sit through a service that may mean something to us, but won't mean anything to them. Um, And I would say to a parent in that situation, um, Get on the carpet. Go find where your kids are. Go and do that. And and actually, the church has this incredible opportunity, I think, in front of it, which I find so exciting to be able to be the voice, the, the healing hands, the, the body in a community that provides solutions to the issues that communities are facing. And, and anyone will tell you, you provide the solution. They're going to say, well, where does that solution come from? Matthew 5.16 says this. Let your work so shine before men that they glorify your Father in heaven. Let me re-paraphrase that for you. Church, if you want to see kids come into your church, let your good work so shine before the children and families in your community by solving the issues that they've got in front of them right now, existential, life-threatening issues. Solve those issues and they will turn and glorify your Father in heaven. And we see it. We see it. You know, we're there to uh, encourage the church to uh, step into what I believe is its calling under the second commandment. But beyond that, there's this incredible um, joy, uh, you know, as families realize that actually the people who stepped into the gap for them uh, was this old local church. And I think that's a beautiful thing. As people um, observe charities like yourself at work um, and perhaps with a mindset of so so where's the fruit? You know, where are the children coming to faith and all the rest of it? What is the kind of answer you give? Because obviously Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Victorian preacher, was a gospel preacher looking to for faith and he was investing in um, in children's ministry, obviously for the sake of the poor, but also because he 
he believed in eternity and the need for children to find Christ. What would you say to people who say, well, you know, how how is what you're doing leading to that? It's a it's a fair question. I would probably give an answer in three different ways. The first part of it is to say that under the second command, um, there is no direct response. The the illustration given under love your neighbor as yourself is the Good Samaritan, no mention of church, no mention of evangelism, no mention of coming into faith, no mention even of God in that day. And so we are imposing something on scripture. We're in danger of imposing something on scripture that does not exist there. The second thing I would say is that um, we live in a world of incredible pain. And as Christians, you know, I think we should be motivated by unconditional and compassionate love. And without an intellectual, theological um, uh, justification, I would say that I am motivated by that. And I would encourage others to see the pain. And Jesus says, you know, he said, well, you know, when you visited me, you know, you know, you cared for me. And I said, but Lord, when did we visit you? And he says, well, when I was in jail. Oh, when I had no clothes, when I was hungry. But Lord, we, we don't remember this incident. Everyone, you did it. You did it for me. And, and actually, that is a huge motivator. If the second command doesn't get you, that one should. But the third one, perhaps, is a bit more of a nuanced answer. And I think the third one is um, when the Jews came back to um, Jerusalem, uh, they rebuilt the walls of the city. But what's if you read the text closely, what you realize is they built the wall outside their home. So the cobbler built his wall and the baker built his wall. The wall would not have looked the same. Everybody had their bit of the wall. The wall operated with a particular function. My function is to get in front of suicidal kids who um, don't know who they are, are eating uh, disorders and so on. That's my function. That's my bit of the wall. Other people have different parts of the wall in the church, the beautiful body of Christ. And and actually, yeah, you know, they may not understand my part of the wall and maybe I don't understand their part of the wall, but together we make a fortified city. And I would encourage people to consider the work of organisations like ours in, in that light. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, now, Ian, uh, you've developed a tool at Spurgeon's called uh, so Ian, you've you developed a parenting toolkit, particularly to serve those families who have children with eating disorders. So talk me through how eating disorders uh, became an issue that you particularly wanted to focus on at the moment. I remember some years ago I was interviewing um, a potential head of therapy um, and he was a director of a CAMS unit uh in the southeast and what he said was i, I now eat children i, I now meet i meet children who are a uh, stone uh, on the verge of significant uh, medical intervention um, because that's all i've got the capacity for if only if only i could have met them six months prior to this where they were beginning to you know to to to, to refuse food or, or or whatever the particular issue was and it really struck with me that um like everything else early intervention is always the key and um but there's very little capacity for that, meaning that actually uh, most services engaged in this world are really seeing um, uh, very, very, very troubled kids who are literally controlling their eating to the point of um, life, life-changing uh, impacts on their health and potentially life-ending. And uh, really, I think we've got to step into the gap for that. It's not the only one. We're dealing with um, lots of other issues as well, but... Uh, we timed this one because there was uh, an awareness week recently and we really wanted to chime in with that. Um, particularly for Christian parents who are facing this issue and don't know who to go to, can't get time with CAMS, um, how, how and who do we go to for this? And we just wanted to give some resource and put it in the hands of people free of charge, just like, you know, and do this. But we do the similar things for parental conflict and so on. 
Um, again, tends to be high-end work, but yeah, just equipping uh, parents, whether they go to church or not, faith or not, just to say, look, here's some tools and hopefully this can support you. If we don't, this is not going to go away. This is not going to decrease. This is going to, I was in a meeting uh, with a, a, an American psychotherapist it's about six or seven years ago. Um, the the she was at the time he had one in ten uh, one in nine children um, in the UK suffered with a diagnosable mental health disorder, and she said oh, it'll be one in five before you know it. And I, everybody laughed, literally everybody laughed. It, the idea of a, a doubling in prevalence in you know it just didn't seem possible. We are now at one in five. She was talking about in ten years time, and we're there partly because of the lockdown and the pandemic and so on. We're there five years early. The reason why I say this is this is going to get worse and worse. It's going to impact more families and more families. And at some point, someone has to go, let's do something about this. And that's, I guess, our clarion call to the church. Uh, for, for those who are in church leadership listening, um, obviously th there will be centres around the country. So if they're close to a centre, that may be a, a place to which they can direct people. Obviously, you, you've talked about the immensity of the need, and we're not pretending that... Spurgeon's children's charity can meet that need, but but obviously you, your message to them is is to get in touch. Um, that there are resources around, uh, especially as church leaders, uh, you know, come up face to face with some of these uh, challenges. Again, let me respond in two ways. The first the first way is the, the resources are there online. Um, we're rebuilding the website to be tidier and cleaner in a, in a couple of months' time. I'm sorry about where it is right now, but. But they are there online. We can get you that resource. It's free. Just do it. Get it, get it, get it. Okay. And, and maybe if there are other issues that you're facing, there will be resources there online. And there are, in fact, several great organizations um, working in the space of families that are going through stresses and troubles and so on. But actually, you know what? There is something you could do. Um, Jesus talks about a little leaven and how it can, it can, you know, that yeast can just impact the whole piece of bread, you know. And, and actually, as an example, it's often given... Uh, in a negative sense, but also in a positive sense. If you consider Spurgeon's as leaven, just yeast, um, and if you consider the church as the bread and the miraculous natural uh, uh, transformation in the bread as given and ordained by our Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit and his Christ. But if you take that as, a, as an example for the moment, we can impact the UK. We can turn this stuff back. We can get into every city and town. We can. If church leaders are involved in this, just contact us and say, how do I turn the tie back in our community? And we're already doing that. We're putting people on site and therapists on site, family support workers on site. And people, honestly, I wish you could see it. They come to the church for healing. Revelation 21, they come to the church for healing. And they, yeah, sure, they, they're not going to be there on a Sunday morning, but they're coming to the church for healing. We're rediscovering our roots in this stuff. And, um, yeah, I just, uh, it's a longer play, but it's its an exciting one and one that we're very much on that on that journey with, with many church leaders. We're really excited about that. Yeah, my final question really is, uh, you're now CEO of, of Spurgeon's Children's Charity rather than Fegans. Has, has your work and job changed immeasurably or or slightly or not at all I, I think i weep a lot more uh, oh bless you <laughs> okay <laughs> so years ago god broke my heart for the nation and um but at the same time galvanized in my heart and excitement about the christian church has the job changed <laughs> the weight of leadership you know to, to the leaders who are listening to this if you are leading an organization with three workers in it you feel the same pressures I feel. And I, I, I think we've got four or 500 
there is no difference in the pressure. Leadership contains a, or has a unique burden, a unique um, mantle on it that you will walk alone. And so can I say to you, I, I feel and know and uh, understand your pain. On a practical level, yeah, there's probably more meetings, I guess, um, more, 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 more programs I have to get to see, but also, I guess, more doors that open uh, for us to speak authoritatively on behalf of children and families, uh, on behalf of the needed communities um, into local authorities. And I guess that's, you know, that's been um, a delight in this role. But I think I would emphasize again, um, there is only one bride of Christ. It is not Spurgeon. Um, we're like a bridesmaid. Our job is to make the church look good. You know, you, you see the bride coming in and the veil's all right. And the bridesmaids ushering around. Our job is to get the, the, the veil right. And so um, in that context, my heart would be to say to to, to, to leaders, uh, if you're a church leader, we're here. We'll try and make you look good in your community. That's what we're going to do. Um, if you're a leader of a charity and the weight has become too much, I feel that. I hear that. But so does God. And, you know, in the many times that I've wept as I started this answer, um, he hears those cries. And so uh, if that's a comforting thought, hopefully it is. Your God is with you and for you and so am I. And then that's a good way to end. No, it is a brilliant way to end, Ian. Thank you so much for all you've shared and for your sense of enthusiasm that uh, the future is bright. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Andy. Appreciate it. That was my conversation with Ian Soares the CEO of Spurgeon's Children's Charity. I loved his sense of God doing a work outside the confines of the church. It's good to look for what he's doing, isn't it? And great too that he sees the job of Spurgeon's to be a bridesmaid and help the church, the bride of Christ, to look good. That's a wonderful vision. It was clear too that uh, he senses the importance of vision as a leader. Without a vision, the people perish. A challenge, if you're in a leadership role, to keep the vision bright or to create or adapt a vision so it's clear and compelling for those who follow. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.